Uh, Father, thank you so much for, for this moment, Lord. Here we are in your presence, God. Help us not take for granted the great love that you have for us. God, I thank you for your word. Um, thank you for the Bible um, that speaks to us hundreds and hundreds and sometimes even thousands of years after it was originally written to someone else, to other people that we never met. But God, your word is living and active and it still speaks to us today. So I pray that your word would speak to us over the next few moments. God, I pray that you would speak through me, help me to get out of the way and just let your word and your gospel message shine forth. Um, Jesus, I pray that I would truthfully proclaim your good news, Lord, your message of uh, grace and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And uh, just open our hearts and change us, we ask in Jesus' name. Everybody say it. Amen. Amen. I grew up in Arkansas, and over there, it gets really hot in the summers. Um, It's not as mild as over here, the climate. We have all four seasons there, but in the summers, a lot of times, it's triple digits, it's over 100, and the humidity will be 70, 80, 90%. You've got mosquitoes the size of hummingbirds, like, just flying around. That's exaggeration. That was the only exaggeration. Some people say the mosquito should be the Arkansas state bird, because there's just (laughs) so many of them, right? And I did this silly thing when I was uh, 18 or 19. I was kind of, I was in college, kind of college time in my life, and um, I did have a vehicle, and the air conditioning worked perfectly. It was great. It was, you know, it could drive around and not feel the summer heat, but I did this thing sometimes in the summers where I would just uh, go the whole day. If I'm driving around doing my errands, I would have the windows rolled down and not turn on the AC and just sweat and, you know, and bat away the mosquitoes. And the reason I did this, it's kind of a little silly reason, but I, I, I had grown up with grandparents that lived through the Great Depression um, and they, had, they just had a different, all the stories I heard from them, they had such a different life than me. I had it so comfortable, you know? I could go to the grocery store and, or my parents could go to the grocery store and, and, and buy food that we would eat that night, whereas they had to grow food. And if they didn't, they just didn't eat. Or I had air conditioning when it was hot and they didn't know what that was. Or, or we had cars and they were lucky to have a horse and a cart, you know? Or we had toilet paper and they had corn husks. Like, <laughs> sorry if that's too visual. But, wait, I just said but. Man, all right. But it was my silly, just idiotic way of trying to identify with a different time that had a little bit less comfort than I was used to. Because you can learn some things in discomfort that you can't learn when you're comfortable. There's some things that you're not going to think of, they're not going to register. God's never going to be able to bring it to your, to, to your heart to change your life when you're comfortable. But if you've got a little bit of discomfort, you can learn some things. He can work in mysterious ways. Honestly, I'm a little bit uncomfortable today, right now, 
preaching this sermon because as hard as I studied and worked and wanted to have something just prepared and it was almost like I had a block even of like a good outline. (laughs) So sorry, that's what you're in for. No, I don't think I'll be long. But so even though I wasn't able to come up with this great, pretty outline and 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 a bunch of nice sayings, I do know that God put something in my heart. And I'm just going to be faithful to what God put in my heart to share that with you guys. Because when we come to Jonah today, he's in a little bit of an uncomfortable situation again. And what we're going to see with Jonah, as we read, um, he has, you know, he, he was called to go share the gospel with the Ninevites who were an intimidating people, who were a potential enemy to Israel, where he was from. And he runs the other way. He doesn't want to leave home. He goes to Tarshish, right? And then if you're familiar with the story, if you've ever heard it, you know, and there's a big storm on the sea, and then the sailors find out it's his fault, and he says, throw me into the sea, and the storm will quit. And he gets thrown into the sea, and he's sinking to his death, and then God sends a great fish to swallow him up, and then when he's in the fish, he prays and he repents, and then God calls him again and says, go back to Nineveh and preach, and this time he does it, and he delivers eight words in English, five words in Hebrew, and the whole city, one of the biggest cities of the known world, repents and turns to God. I wish I could do that with a sermon. Come on. Five words. But the whole city repents, and then we come back to Jonah now that he's did what God told him to do, and and the people have repented, and what we see in Jonah is not what we expect. He's a little bit angry at God. He's a little bit upset because instead of judgment for the people that deserve judgment, God chose to give them grace. Instead of being patient in the situations we're going to read, we see Jonah pouting. Instead of placing God's call in his life first, we see him mourn the fact that God took away his comfort. And I think, sorry, I keep delaying. The tension's building. What are, we, are we going to read it or not? Yes, we're going to read it. But the reason that we read this, this chapter and we get a little disappointed in Jonah, I think, is because we expected, like, dude, you finally did it. You finally followed God, and then they repented. Like, you should be happy, right? But um, I think we get a little disappointed in Jonah because sometimes when we look in the mirror, there's more Jonah in us than we want to admit. Yeah. Sometimes I'm not excited when God gives someone grace who I thought needed to get some judgment. Right? You had that coming, bro. God gave you grace, right? Or sometimes God's patiently working his plan, and because I don't know and I can't see it, I fold my arms and I just pout my way through my week. God, you didn't do it my way. When are you going to get it right, God? We start judging the judge of all the earth. But the good news today is that Jonah's not the hero of this story. I mean, the book got named after him. But Jonah's not the hero of this story. God is the hero of this 
story. All right, so without further ado, we're going to read this story, and then I just have three quick points for you after that. All right, so Jonah chapter 3, verse 11. When God saw what they did, that means the Ninevites repenting and turning towards him. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents, there's that word again, relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, this is a little bit shocking, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Drama much? Right? Right? So basically he's saying, God, I knew you were going to, all right, you had grace on them? I knew you were going to have grace on them. Why'd you have to rip me out of my home to do it? Why'd you have to take me away from Israel and send me all the way across to this intimidating enemy? Why didn't you just give them grace on your own? Why'd you have to mess up my comfort? He's mad. He'd rather die than live. And the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Watch that question. It's going to show up again. Jonah doesn't answer him, but Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, set in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. I'm glad you guys are appreciating this. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. Very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm. Now God's up to something. God's using this plant for something. He's very happy about it, but the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, again, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, it is, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. So you see, it's coming. You see this theme; it's coming up again. But he's left it, and God is going to use this plant. And what happened with this plant? And the fact that Jonah went from exceedingly happy, and less than twenty-four hours later, ready to die, over a plant. Right? God's going to show Jonah something here. So God had said, is it right for you to be angry? That's the same question. Are you right for you to be angry about the plant? He said, it is, and I'm so angry. I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern 
for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. It's the Bible's way of saying they don't know right from wrong. And also many animals. Zach pointed out last week, God cares about the animals too. Apparently not the plant. No, just kidding. And thus, the book of Jonah ends with a rhetorical question from God. You've been concerned about a plant that you did nothing. You didn't even plant it. You didn't water it. It grew and died overnight. Should I not be concerned about a whole city of over 120,000 people? When Jonah was angry at the Lord for showing compassion to the Ninevites, God used the feelings that Jonah felt about a plant to show him that there's a problem when we put our comfort before the calling he's put in our lives. I just want to go over three quick points. Um, and, and each one of them is going to kind of focus on what we see in Jonah and then how we saw God react, what we learned about Jonah and what we learned about God. And I, my hope is today that um, we will identify with what we see in Jonah and yet we'll even more identify in what God has showed us and how he's shown that most fully in Christ. I almost named the sermon Jonah, Us, and Jesus but it didn't seem to work since they were so many centuries apart and all that stuff. But we're going to see the fulfillment of what God's shown us in Jesus. But the three quick points is uh, grace over, God's grace over our judgment, God's patience over our pouting, and God's calling over our comfort. So quickly, Jonah showed judgment, but God showed grace. What we see Jonah have is, you know, when he went up and he waited to see what would happen to the city, even though he knew that God had already forgiven them, right? Jonah's just waiting on them to get what they deserve. I want to see them get what they deserve. They're brutal. They're wicked. There's a reason you sent me here to proclaim judgment on them, and now you're just going to let them get off free, Right? He wants to see them get what they deserve, but he has forgotten what he deserves. Right. He's forgotten that only a chapter earlier, he's running away from God. He gets a direct, clear call from God, go here and preach to them, and he goes, whoop, other way. No, I don't want to do that. So far, rebelling against God that he finds himself sinking to the bottom of the ocean without hope. And what happens? Does God kill him and snuff him out? No, he saves him by amazing grace, miraculous grace of a fish that keeps him alive. When he wanted judgment for others, he was forgetting how much grace he had received. We do the same thing. We do the same thing, church, in our hearts. When we forget the immeasurable flood of God's grace that has come into our lives, 
When we forget that, that's when we want to mete out judgment instead of give grace to others. Church, we cannot identify people by how much is wrong with them. We need to identify people, and I don't just mean people outside of this church. I mean people inside. I mean each other. We can't identify people by how much is wrong with them. We've got to identify people with how much Jesus loves them. Just as much as he loves you and me, that he would die for us. That he wouldn't just say, I'm not going to judge them. That on the cross, he took that judgment on himself and absorbed it and was put to death for it so that he could show them grace and be just. Isn't that amazing? When we really see the grace that God has given us and we deserve judgment, we, can't, we don't see someone as a sin walking on two legs, as Paul David Tripp says it. We can't look at someone and just think, oh yeah, well they really need to get this together because, mm, mm, my goodness. Yeah, well, they had that coming, right? No. When we see how much grace God has given us, we can then have an attitude of grace toward others. Ephesians 2, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. Where in your life are you wishing judgment on someone? Or where in your life are you showing judgment to someone instead of grace? Now notice, it doesn't mean we throw out the truth. We just go so far on the way of grace that we don't call out wrong and right. You know, Jonah didn't go over there and say, hey, you guys, you know, haven't really messed up, so see ya. (laughs) No, he's like, turn or you're gonna be destroyed. And yet they did turn and God showed them grace. All right, but that's enough about that. Mm. All right, next point. One down, two to go. Hallelujah. All right. Next point. We see Jonah pouting. Some people call him the pouting prophet, but God was patient. See, God is the judge of, Of all the earth. And in this instance, Jonah gets to see him show mercy to a whole city and the animals that turned to him. But when Jonah saw that, he didn't look at it and be like, wow, that's amazing. That's so good. No, what did he do? He judged the judge. He judged the judge. God, I see what you did there, and um, I'm just going to have to say, you got that wrong. Um, If you look at these reports here, uh, you're going to see that the trajectory that I had would have had you doing this decision. He judged the judge of all the earth. And I'm here to tell you today, when we judge the judge of all the earth, we are setting ourselves up to be sulking to be pouting because we can't see why he would do it that way or why he won't give us what we want. Now, hear me. I'm not talking about grief or sorrow or tragedy. 
Because this passage is not about tragedy. What did Jonah lose? He lost a leafy plant. (laughs) Right? And that's why it's pouting. Right? Because when we go through grief, yes, we question God. We don't know why you did this. We don't, it's sad, we're sorry. And I'm not talking about that. But what I'm talking about is is pouting. It's something altogether different. It's not related to tragedy or grief or sorrow. It's related to, God, I did not like the way you did that. I mean, if we look at Jonah's story, all he has is miracles. (laughs) Miracle after miracle and forgiveness after forgiveness and a calling that's still being talked about centuries and centuries later. And he's over here. God, you messed up so bad, (laughs) right? We can only see that from where we are. We look at that and it's like, man, you really missed the point. But bigger than how much Jonah is pouting, look at how patient God is with Jonah. When Jonah's a little dramatic and says, well, I'd rather be dead than be alive because you just really messed it up, God. Does God just snuff him out there and be like, okay, (laughs) wish granted, bro. No, he takes the time to even teach him an object, object lesson. He provided a plant. He provided a worm. He provided a scorching east wind. He's so intimately involved with teaching Jonah where he was wrong that you can't help but look at this chapter and say, wow, God, you are so patient. You know what? In the story, Jonah got more second chances than anyone. I talked about it last week. The Ninevites, they hear one sermon and they're like, bro, we are wrong. We need to repent. We need to turn towards God. And they did. But how many times has Jonah messed up in four chapters? Again and again and again. And yet, God is patient. God's not impatient with him. When he sees him pouting, when he sees that he doesn't understand, when he sees him questioning God is patient with him. Where in your life do you struggle with pouting against God? Is it something with your job? Is it something with a relationship? Is it something, God, I thought we were going to be here by now, but we're not. Thanks a lot. God, I was really trusting you for this, but you didn't do it the way I thought. Guys, and this is not at you. I could, this, if, if I was just acting like this was a message for you, like there would probably be lightning right now. <laughs> right? Because, because I pout against God. I may not walk around like this, but sometimes in my heart, it's like, mm, God, you just, will it be better for me to die? right? But God is patient with us. God is patient with us. Last point, Jonah wanted his comfort, but God gave him a calling. Jonah wanted his comfort, but God gave him a calling.
We saw that in the beginning of the chapter. He's basically telling the Lord, he's very angry, he's displeased. I'm not happy about how you changed your mind about the Ninevites because I knew that you were a gracious God and I knew that you were compassionate and I knew that you relent, you turn away. You don't like to send calamity on people. You don't like to see people perish. You don't like to see people destroyed by their own sin. The Bible says God's not willing that any would perish, but that everyone should come to eternal life. So why'd you have to rip me out of my home, throw me through a storm in a sea, catch me with a whale, get vomited out, I don't like that. Why, why can't I just stay home, God, if you were already going to save Nineveh? Why can't I just stay home and do what I was doing? Right? Jonah wanted his comfort, but God gave him a calling. And this is the phrase that really just hit me so hard when I was studying, is that when Jonah put his comfort before God's call, it it inevitably leads to contempt. It, inevi- it inevitably leads to, I'm angry with you, God. I'm angry with the decision you made because it took me out of my comfort. Comfort before calling leads to contempt. See, we're drawn to comfort. We're drawn to it's our natural state. It's what we, you know, if I could choose between a really, like just a chair that's just a slat of wood and this and a lazy boy, which one am I going to choose? Especially if you're going to watch the game, right? Lazy boy, right? Come on. Oh, yeah. Is that a choice for anyone? I don't know. We're drawn to comfort. It's not even necessarily a, a a horrible thing. We were talking earlier, um, our, even our bodies are drawn to just the status quo. It's called homeostasis in the science world where your body does things to make sure that your blood temperature stays the same and your, and your blood pressure stays the same and your energy level is being managed. And we're drawn to the status quo, but a lot of times we are lulled to sleep by the things that we find comfort in. Because here's the thing, guys. As, as the church, as Christians, as disciples of Jesus, he has given us a calling. Yeah. He has given us a kingdom that is so amazing that we can't even imagine it. He wants to use you and speak through your life. He wants to you, work through you to make disciples. He wants there to be stories generations down the line about how whole families and nations were changed because someone brought them the gospel. He wants, even in pouting, he's patient enough to, to work with us so that we can read about Jonah over here in the U.S., separated by time and space, and be inspired that God has called us to something that's so much more amazing than anything we could imagine. And yet, so often in my heart, what holds me back from that? Comfort. What holds me back from the opportunities I have to show up to serve? Comfort. Well, I didn't have that planned. 
or that's going to throw me off for what I was going to spend this on. So here's the thing. Believe it or not, we're in a battle for our souls and for the souls of others. And, and Jesus has called us to be on the victorious side. And he's called us to share that good news with other people. And yet so often I get lulled to sleep by comfort. And when I put comfort before the call that God has on my life, I'm annoyed with everyone. I'm annoyed with everyone. I'm annoyed with everything. It's never going right. There's never enough. But when I live for God's call over my own comfort, there's joy. There's life. There's stories. There's life change. There's repentance. There's people being filled with the Spirit, filled with the love of Christ. That's what God has called us to. Let's not... Let's not let comfort rob us of that, of the kingdom of God, of seeing it in our lives while we're alive, right now, every day. Tons of opportunities. So I was thinking about this. You know, it's... Like I said, when I see this story, I see Jonah, and I'm tempted just to be disappointed because it's like, Jonah, I had such better hopes for you, man. You were like on the right path. You turned back and you obeyed God, so now it should be like happy ending, right? And truly, I'm a little disappointed in myself because I see that in myself. I see how I pout. I see how I choose comfort instead of the kingdom of God. I see how I want others to get what they deserve when God has given me such grace. But the good news is that Jesus is our example, and he's not only our example, he accomplished what we couldn't accomplish. Let me read you a quick passage of scripture, Philippians 2. Verse four, it says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see what Jesus did when he became our example. He didn't just say, here's how to do it, good luck. Don't pout when things don't go your way. Comfort's bad. 
No, he didn't just give us an example that was gonna further disappoint us in our own ability to follow him. No, he went to the cross, became obedient to death, and died for us to pay for all those times where we have judged the judge. To pay for all those times where we've pouted with God when he's patient with us. To pay for every single time where we've had the call of God in our lives, but we've been distracted by something else. Not only did he pay for it, but the Holy Spirit empowers us to see that example. That when you hear this word today, that something in your heart lights up, that, oh my God, that is the way. That is the way that you have called us to. It's so much more. It's so much greater than what I often live for. Amen? Does it resonate with anyone? Comfort over calling leads to contempt, but calling before comfort leads to joy. All right. I'm going to pray in just a moment. The musicians are going to come up, and uh, we're going to sing one more song, then we'll have a time of uh, communion. And uh, when we do that, uh, just, you know, gather in groups or uh, as couples, um, we have the the bread and wine, the crackers and juice, and uh, come around together and just proclaim how the Lord's sacrifice um, has paid for our transgressions and the grace that he's given us. So um, I'm gonna say a word of prayer and and then we're gonna sing and then uh, as the song wraps up, we'll go into communion. Father, I thank you so much um, Lord, I thank you for your kingdom, Lord, that you are a king. Lord, you're not um, just some ethereal presence. Lord, you're not um, something that we can't know, but you've revealed yourself, Lord, as a person, as a king who is worthy of all our worship, Lord, and all our praise and all our lives, God. So just as, as servants of the king, it's enough that we should obey you, Lord, but you haven't called us to monotony. You haven't called us to the dreams and the things that this world can offer, Lord, but you've called us to something so much greater. God, you've called this church, Lord, to something so much greater than oftentimes we find ourselves living for. God, I pray for every single person right now, Holy Spirit, that that you would bring to bear the words of this passage, the message of this passage, God, that you would speak in our hearts. Lord, I pray for uh, challenges, Lord, for a burr in the saddle this week as we're going throughout our week or a, a pebble in the shoe, something that makes us think, oh my gosh, am I putting my own comfort or my own plan before God? before others, before compassion to others? Am I holding on to judgment for someone else instead of showing them grace and trusting them to God? Am I pouting when, when God is truly in control, Lord? I pray that our hearts would be made aware of that, Lord, 
And uh, just, uh, just as you do, all, all the change that you do, is, it's through our lives, God. It's through the everyday. So I pray that you would do that. Start something today and continue it in our lives. Lord, we thank you so much uh, for your presence. Thank you for speaking through us today. In Jesus' name, amen.